Did you know the average couple waits six years to get help in their marriage? Yeah, that's six years of pain, hurt, and frustration. Hi there, I'm Charlotte Snow. And I'm Robert Snow. And welcome to Master Your Marriage. Where we believe that having an amazing marriage should never feel like hard work and shouldn't be a guessing game. This is the show for married couples who want to discover a scientifically proven approach to building a masterful marriage and have fun while doing it. So if that's you, you're in the right place. Let's dive in. Welcome everyone. Today I am so excited to have Master Your Marriage Robert and Charlotte Snow on today speaking about sex and intimacy. So welcome you two. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be with you. I'm so excited for this conversation. Can you give us a brief introduction to your practice and exactly what you do and where you are? Sure. Robert, why don't you start? Well, what we like to say, especially when we guest on other people's um, podcasts, and so that your listeners know a little bit about us. So it is Master Your Marriage podcast, and it's not really all about marriage, even though it is. Um, Marriage for us really just means two people in an emotionally committed relationship. So the same type of problems exist, whether or not you have a piece of paper that says you're married, or whether or not you're just in an emotionally committed relationship. And for people who are leaving a relationship at times or wanting to figure out what went wrong when their last relationship didn't go as well as they thought it should be. Right, right. And so what we do is we help couples or individuals to be able to communicate better, to be able to work through conflict, to help develop emotional intelligence so that they can have difficult conversations because really that's at the at the core of being able to have um you know, conflict and difficult conversations. It's about teaching couples what are some of the predictors for relationship demise? Like what predicts divorce? What are the things to avoid? How do we communicate better? How do we develop more intimacy, more desire? How do we have better um, sexual intimacy? So we, we touch on a lot of things, but really at the core of it, we're helping couples to love better. Okay, so this is a question that I was gonna ask at the end, but I'm just gonna ask you now. Do you only work in person or do you work with couples online? Oh, the oh, yeah, the majority is online, actually. We do work in person. We're based out of Utah, um, but 99% of our clients are on Zoom these days. This is amazing. That is so good to hear. Uh, yeah. I wish I would have known yeah. about you a year or two ago. <laughs> well, it's never too late. You've been married a while, though, right? Yeah. Been, yeah. How long have you been married? Um, 23 years. Awesome. Years. Yeah, that's yeah. Amazing. amazing. And as my husband, he was very excited for this conversation because I shared with you earlier before we started recording that I have struggled with intimacy and it's been something that I've been working. We've been working with, with each other together, but then also me just individually, because it is, I don't know why it's so terrifying for me, but it is terrifying for me. And, Mm -hmm. um, I remember we, we met with a marriage therapist years ago and she had us do this little trial of like, how long can you stare in each other's eyes? Like try to do it for three minutes without saying anything. And I wanted to die. I felt like I crawl out of your skin, pull my, like pull a coat over my head and just sit there and be like, I'm so uncomfortable. So these are all topics that I know me in this age of like mid 40s and 
friends that I have, we talk about these conversations and it's hard because it's not one that a lot of people like sharing, number one. And two, I don't even know if we know a lot of people, a lot of women especially know if you can fix it. So we're going to cover all of those. Can we begin with our sex and intimacy the same thing? Ooh. Yes, we can. So it's good to break this down because we're we're kind of conflating right now several different topics and you know there's there's sex, there's intimacy, there's desire, there's um passion. There's something we call differentiation, which is kind of what you're describing when you're looking to someone's eyes, it's like, okay, when I'm with this person that I care so much about, all of my stuff starts to come up when I'm with you. And how do I stabilize my own anxieties when I'm in the presence of this person that means so much to me? So lots of different things that kind of get conflated when we talk about just intimacy. But sex and intimacy are not the same thing. Sex is not the most intimate thing that two people can do, believe it or not. Um, there's far more, maybe even staring into each other's eyes, far more intimate things that two people can do that can bring up so much of our anxieties and our own baggage. So I would define intimacy as the level of connection between two people. Um, Dr. John Gottman, who's done more marriage researcher research than anyone else or relationship research than anyone else, which we use his methods a lot in our coaching practice. Um, he talks about something called emotional attunement. And emotional attunement is the ability to be in sync with someone else and being able to be responsive to one another's feelings. So I think that's a really good way to think about what intimacy is, is to be emotionally in sync with someone else. I also think of intimacy as how the level that I'm willing to allow myself to be known to someone else and also the level that they're willing to disclose and make available to me. It's to be known and to know someone else warts and all, like all of it, to know all the things about this other person, which brings up so much stuff for us. And to be emotionally um, vulnerable, which is what it takes to be intimate, is is risky, right? Because it's like, what if this person rejects me or they abandon me or they don't like what they see, which is normal. And it happens. And sometimes we don't like what we see. And But vulnerability is the super hard part, right? Like, and, you, and we talk about this. Um, I, I I used to think that it was more difficult for guys to be vulnerable than it was for girls. But as we've done this work, we realize that this is not a male female thing. This is an every person thing. But the the ability we have to become more vulnerable with our partner, which is warts and all, right? To be able to share with them all of our desires and our fears and and our insecurities as well. Um, Gottman calls this the the lasting bridge to intimacy right? It creates this bridge that spans this emotional connection between partners and, and it creates this ability to be emotionally in tune, um, to be vulnerable. And, and I think that vulnerability equals the greatest intimacy you can get for guys from, cause I can speak from a guy's perspective. It is so hard. It's so hard to be vulnerable because we don't want to be seen as weak, uh -huh. right? Like we don't want to be seen as weak and, and that, Brene Brown quote that I love about weakness and I'll share that if you want. But yeah. so Brene Brown was talking about, um, she was, she initially started research doing shame researching. Um, and so she had presented it at this group talking about her book. And, um, so this guy comes up to her and it's, it's, 
and he says, you know, I've noticed that, um, that you don't study men in your, um, in your research. And she goes, well, no, I don't study men. And he says, well, that's awfully convenient. Hmm. She says, well, why so? And he says, we have, men have a lot of shame. We have great shame. He says, you see the book that you signed for my wife and my two daughters over there, those three girls? She's like, yeah. He says, they'd rather see me die on top of my white horse than ever fall down. He said, we get the emotional crap kicked out of us all the time. And it's not by the coaches and the guys at work, right? It's actually by the women in our lives. This with these expectations work. of us. It is. It is, right? And so we have, you know, men have a lot of shame. And so Brene goes on to say, she goes, you know, show me a man that can sit with a woman without trying to fix it and listen to her, right? How hard her day has been or yeah. how, how much stress she's had that day. And I'll show you a man who's done a lot of work. And conversely, show me a woman who can sit with a man in real vulnerability, real vulnerability, right? When he's bearing his heart and his soul, when he's telling you why he feels like he's not enough, when he's telling you why he doesn't feel like he's living up at home, at work, in bed, right? Without judgment. Right. And then I'll show you a woman who's done a lot of work. Right. And, and that's the work. That's yeah. the work of, of being able to sit in vulnerability. But if you think that, if you realize that vulnerability, and I got my hands up for those who are watching any video, vulnerability equals, equals intimacy, right? Deep lasting intimacy is built on vulnerability. So I want to back up just a little bit because um, when you think about how relationships get started, this is not how relationships get started. So when we no. when we enter into a relationship, maybe we're dating or, you know, maybe we've just gotten into moving in together or we're married or whatever. Where we start is is a very um, like lustful stage. Right. We have a lot of desire um, and we think we're in love, but it's really a love without actually knowing these parts of each other. It's like, oh, I love you so much, but I don't even know you. <laughs> and I look back at our relationship and I'm sure you too, Haley, like I didn't know you at all when we got married. I thought I did, but I didn't know you at all. And then it shifts into this. Now we can see now we're living together or we're married and we're closer together. And I'm like, I didn't know you desired that. That's kind of weird. Or you think that that's weird. That's not what I think. And so now we start to expose these differences in each other. Um, and, and it's sad because we get into relationships and we right away, we start trying to change the other person, even though we fell in love with our differences, we start to try to change each other into being ourselves. There's a whole Seinfeld skit on that one that was hilarious. But, um, yeah. so we start to see, you know, truth and there now there's knowing and the love sort of starts to dissipate a little bit because I'm upset that you desire these things. You're different than me. And if we can get through that, then we can get to the point that Robert's describing where we can love with the knowledge, where we're able to see each other fully, to be known completely, to be understood completely, to, to really know what's the map. He gives me the map to his inner psychological world. I get to see it all and vice versa. And I still choose you. That's getting to that third stage of there's things about myself I don't like. There's things about you I don't like, but I still choose you. But to get to that point, it takes so much inner stabilization. We have to manage those anxieties like looking into each other's eyes and, oh, my gosh, this is so awkward and uncomfortable. But you have to be able to. That's where our stuff comes to the rises to the surface and we get to go, okay, I need to work on these things within myself in order to allow myself to be fully seen and to be able to be okay with you showing me all of those things about you. 
it's that it's that immature thing that we talk about, that immature love, right? And and think about these things that you said when you were younger, like like oh, I I could never be with anyone who likes chocolate chip cookies, like no, or I, whatever it is, whatever that is, right? Like you you say that, like you said these things, I said these things, like I could never be with someone who doesn't eat meat. My wife's vegetarian most of the time, Used right? To be. Used to be right. Yeah. So like, and now I'm now I'm just like, great. We've got chocolate chip cookies and oatmeal cookies, and you can have the chocolate chip cookies, and I'll have the oatmeal cookies. Well, Robert right? has metaphors for everything. Yeah, I'm well, yeah, sorry. I'm the metaphor. Not sorry. Screw that. I am the metaphor guy. There you go. <laughs> Own it. So. Yeah. So in short, intimacy is knowing and being known. That's the short answer. But in order to do that, it takes a lot of differentiation. It takes a lot of maturity. It takes a lot of growing up on our part to not just instantly reject those things in the other person that we said we would never tolerate. Okay. I have so many questions running through my head. I don't even know where to begin. But my Good. first keep going. My first question is, okay, so we can have we can desire someone. We can desire our partner, but that doesn't translate into an intimate relationship. We can have a very healthy sex life, but that doesn't mean that we are fully intimate and we have a great intimate connection. Is that normal, not normal? Um, is that even possible? I'm just like thinking of scenarios here. Yeah, so all of those things can operate sort of independently. We can have sex and I mean, we could have accommodating sex that where there's not even desire, right? We can have desire with sex without intimacy. We can have all of these kind of things running separately from one another, but it's great when we can put them all together. You can have passionate sex without intimacy. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, you can. Um, what? Ask me more. Well, I'm thinking like, Haley. is it possible? Have you ever met a couple that just can't find this level of intimacy? And is it because they, they haven't done enough work or is it some people just, I don't know, um, like have that connection? I know there's certain people in life that we just have a connection with. It could be a, a grandma. It could be a best friend. It could be, you know, a boyfriend. Levels of intimacy. This has come up with mo more than one friendship that I have where they're just like, I'm broken. I don't know how to be intimate or I don't like sex. And so they're lumping it all together. But is it like, can you, can anybody find it if they're working hard enough? Yes. Yes. So, okay. So let's break it down a little bit more. So intimacy and sex, let's keep them separated. I want to talk about sex. I actually really want to talk about sex, but let's start with the intimacy. Always wants part. to talk about sex. That's fine. <laughs> let's start with the intimacy first. So there's a really great book called Intimacy and Desire by Dr. David Schnarch. And if you're struggling with intimacy or desire or sex, definitely recommend this book. And he also has another book called Passionate Marriage. And um, he talks about something called differentiation. And differentiation is, to make it as simple as possible, it's the level of emotional and psychological maturity that we have. And what we need to do to step into more emotional maturity is to look within our sense of self. How solid is our sense of self? Now, when we're born, all of us are born with something called a reflected sense of self, which means we have to look to the eyes of someone else to know who we are, to know I'm beautiful or smart or capable of something, whatever that is. I look to my parent 
my mother and my father and they say, you can do this. And I go, okay, I can do this. And now I know that I can do this, but I can't know who I am without the reflection of someone else. And as we mature, as we get older, that emotional maturity is not guaranteed. Just because we are 50 years old or 40 years old doesn't mean we've actually developed a solid sense of self. So how much are we still relying on the perceptions and the opinions of others in order to be able to bolster our self-image, our self-worth, our sense of self? And even outside, it's, it's really tricky within our most important relationships, but you see this anyway just on social media, right? How much are we hooked on to how many likes we get, how many views we get, how many comments we get, how much of what other people think about us is giving us our sense of worth? And this becomes a really big issue within relationships because there's going to be conflict in every relationship. John Gottman found that 69% of conflicts within a relationship are perpetual. They go on and on and on and on year after year, and that's normal, even in happy, healthy relationships. But if my sense of self gets destroyed every single time we have a conflict, then I'm, I'm not going to have desire. I'm not going to be able to be intimate. So developing a sense of self is really where it all begins, like being solid in who I am so that I can handle a, some level of conflict, some level of disagreement within my partner. I'll tell you a couple of quick stories. So I had so one particular um, person that I was working with, they 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 weren't married, but they they had hooked up during COVID and they had sort of been an online relationship. They got together, they hooked up to have sex and when they the first time they got together and but when they met each other for the first time she made a statement about his appearance that he wasn't what she expected and he was unable to perform because she had insulted his sense of self yeah his so, fragile sense of self so he wasn't able to have an erection similarly how many times do women as as a woman when he doesn't listen to my challenges of the day, my problems of the day, and he's not interested in my emotional concerns, how many times does my desire turn off? Well, if I have a really fragile sense of self that needs a lot of praise and validation from him, I'm not going to want sex. I'm not going to want to be intimate. So what you're asking is like the personal development piece is so important because when we have a solid sense of self, it's amazing how the level of connection and intimacy and how much more I'm willing to show him because I'm unencumbered by my insecurities. So I can let him see it all. But if I'm still worried about what he's going to think and I need him to boost my self-esteem, I'm not going to show that to him. Yeah. Okay. So these, these are really deep-rooted issues. But common, right? And I think that is a thing that I, a message that I think we, we, want to give people is that like you're normal if you have had sexual desire issues in your relationship you're absolutely normal in fact in every relationship there's always a higher desire partner and a lower desire partner always but we make so much meaning around that always we make yeah. right because it's a scale so even if you were in one relationship and you had sex once a week but then you get into a next and the next relationship and now your partner wants sex every day of the week. Well, 
now you you might have gone from being the lower desire partner to the higher desire partner or vice versa because it's just a scale. So in every relationship, there's always a higher desire and a lower desire partner, always. And it doesn't necessarily mean anything's wrong with you. It just means you're normal. Okay, that's so good to hear. So I have a big question. Do you think that a sexless marriage can be healthy? I guess I guess there's, you know, the medical, uh, I, I'm in the medical field. So on the medical side, I'm like, okay, well, is there... Is there a medical problem with that? But right. it can be solved. Right, not, right, right. I think but, there's a lot of individual potential explanations for that, like you're thinking of, right? But I guess if they're both happy with it, then it can be healthy. If both partners are truly okay with that, then I guess it can be healthy. But generally speaking, no. Like this is something that is, is I don't like to use the word normal, but it is something that I think most people find so much meaning in and it is important. It is important for a, a well-functioning relationship where both partners want it and they're capable of of having it. Yes. Yeah, I think that I think that's. A, a, I mean, a very interesting question, especially because I think we we actually have we know some people that are sort of that way. Um, and you know, I mean, it it may seem like it's a thing for them. And and in the guy's perspective, like for for men in general, again, I'm over on the guy's side of the equation. Like that is how we feel accepted and we connect, right? That's our version of connection. And it may not be that, that way of connecting with the wife, with, with your other partner. And it may, and it may be, those roles may be reversed. So as long as both people are happy and they find another way to connect, I mean, just remember though, that sex is not the most, most important form of intimacy. It's not the most intimate thing that we can do in our relationship. And so I guess, hypothetically speaking, if, if we're not having intercourse, right? Are we connecting? Are we are we are we managing to deeply connect? Are we are we managing to continue to build our friendship? Like is friendship kind of gone? Because I think that's probably a bigger question. I guess yeah. So I guess in short, the answer is it really depends on what if both people are happy with it. You know, if what's the normal? Like people ask, well, how many times a week is normal? And it's like, well, if you're happy with the frequency, then it's perfect. If that frequency is once a week and you're both happy with it, that's great. If the frequency is three times a week and you're happy with it, great. If it's once a month and you're both happy with it, that's great. We're not here to tell you what is normal in terms of how often a couple should have sex. But I think as long as both partners are, are relatively happy with it, it's perfect. Okay. So really, I mean, and I didn't think that that was even an option, but I know that some people have experienced that and that can be really yeah. isolating and lonely depending on well, for either side, but I think it's it manifests yes. different on the male side versus the female side as well. But since I work with all women over 40, and most of them are somewhere in the perimenopause, postmenopause transition time of life. And one of the biggest things I hear is like, I just, I don't have any libido. Like I just, I'm not 20 anymore. I don't have the desire. And even when things are like, okay, is it because it hurts now? Like, what are what is the reason? If it's not a medical reason, they're just like, well, I don't have a desire. How would you counsel someone? Yeah, I'm just going to ask a question. Yeah. Um, when you first were married and, and you know, or getting together with your partner, and I just want everybody listening to think about this, um, and, and you maybe you made it past the lust stage, and you were at this point where you were just... You were, you were just sort of just 
in that moment, soaking it in, just holding, cuddling, whatever it is that you're doing. And you felt this deep acceptance and deep love and deep friendship. If you can find and remember that time, right? The question is, are you able to kind of get back to that or have, or have you let the distance grow so much between you and your partner that, that you don't feel like you could get back there? Desire for sex is, you know, there are some, and Charlotte will talk about those. There are some, you know, hormone issues and things like that occur. But if you're really working on this connection, this deep intimate connection, this deep friendship connection, then like these are the things that sort of happen naturally. So when I hear that, like when I hear a desire issue, like my question really is, is like. What's the, what's the root cause yeah, of that? Yeah, what's the root cause of that desire right. issue? Right. So let's talk about hormones for just a second. I'm not an expert in hormones, but I am a supporter of bioidentical hormones and using hormone replacement therapy. I think it can be fabulous for women in working with your doctor to figure out if that can help you. What um, what Schnarch would say, though, is that he would say that hormones are, well, while they play an important role, they aren't usually as much of an influence on desire as these things that we were just talking about with your sense of self. So it really comes down to figuring out, is there a pattern where I'm holding on to resentment, where I'm being withholding, and am I being withholding for something that needs to be healed or forgiven or worked through? Is my desire related more to my sense of self shutting down because I've been hurt, my sense of self has been injured, or is it hormones? Because I will tell you, as someone who, and I can, I'm happy to, I'm very open about it, but growing up in a purity culture within a church where I was told my whole life, like so many messages, mixed messages around sex, that when we first got married, I struggled a lot earlier in our marriage. But once I did the personal development work, actually at 50, I have more sexual desire now than I ever did at 30. So to me, and and I will say I, I do use I do I do use bioidentical hormones at this point in my life, but you can use hormones and still not have desire because you have a weak sense of self or you've been injured or you've been or you were holding on to a lot of resentment. So you kind of have to look at what is the root cause and get to the root cause. And I will say also that just like the short story I shared earlier, even with like erectile dysfunction, um, some of those things, while some of them can be medical, a lot of those have actually been reversed, not through medicine, but actually through working on this sense of self that I'm talking about, where they've done the personal development work and they've worked on themselves. They've actually been able to have better sexual experiences and sexual desire. Okay. I feel like all, like, all of us should have therapy in our lives but that it should be part of like a I know it's part of some insurances but it should just go along with working out and going to the dentist because we all need it and no one knows where to go not like we get this manual where you just think you know most people aren't talking about it if they're close friends will but outside of a couple of friends I, I don't know most women that would just be like well so I'm not having sex or I'm not really desiring my husband or or whatever it may be. But do you think that I think physical touch outside of sex, like if that's kind of an issue and desire, but just like touching your partner and not even sexually, but just 
you know, little love taps throughout the day. And just because that's another thing that I've heard a lot with just women that they just, you know, they their husband only wants to maybe touch them when it's physical and it, it's going to lead to sex. And outside of that, they're not getting any, you know, hugs or just any kind of physical touch. Is that common? So, yes. And then, and it's going to bring me to just like one thing. And then, and I want the people listening to just, we'll take this piece, right? Um, one of the things we're big on in our relationship is rituals, right? If we want to maintain closeness and we want to maintain friendship and we want to maintain intimacy and vulnerability, we have to do certain things. And for us, there's a couple of non-negotiable um, moments in our day. First is when I leave. When I leave, I'm going to give her a hug and a kiss. doesn't matter. And if I leave and I give her a quick kiss, she's like, nope, you get back here, right? Serious. And I'm like, yep, I turn, I turn around and I'm just going to give her a kiss. I'm going to hold her and I'm going to ask her about her day. So that's our morning ritual. When I come home, doesn't matter where she is, I'm going to high five the 14-year-old on my way to get to my wife, right? And I'm going to kiss her on the back of her neck right here because that is what lights her up, right? But that's okay, right? So now I'm just working on this connection. So, and it is, it is hard for guys, especially when we're like guys that are, I hate to say this word, guys were starved for sex. Right. And then, then they're like, Oh, there's a girl, like, let's go. Right. And it's their wife. Right. And so like, they haven't worked on their emotional regulation when it comes around physical touch and, and you need to, you sort of need to work on that. And all the women listening is like, Oh, I wish he touched me more. And it goes both ways. Right. It goes both ways. And, and, and I see that and, you know, and we're, you know, we're not perfect. And we had that rough spot in our marriage too, where I'm sure Charlotte felt exactly the same way as that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Right. And it takes a while to do that. But you, you know, if you're, if you're invested in, in this one, my ride or die, if you're invested in your ride or die, right. Then you start working on those things, just little, little things. There's just a little piece, right? So there's just two of our rituals coming home, going away. Um, and just, you know, making those connections. So that builds this little bit of physical intimacy. Right. Mm-hmm. It builds just a little bit of physical intimacy and then physical touch. And then, you know, of course, I'm more touch. She's, I don't know. She is, but. So there's something that you've heard of um, love languages. Obviously, we've all heard of love languages. From the neuro linguistic programming side, we assess it a little bit differently to figure out what someone's love language, we call it love strategy, is. And, um, and some people are very much touch. I'm a touch person. Like I have to have physical touch that is non-sexual on a daily basis. And I'm very needy for it. <laughs> like I admit it. I like, get, that's why we have these rituals because he knows this about me. Whereas he loves to hear lots of, you know, appreciation. Like he really wants to be appreciated and hear certain words from me. Mine is more kinesthetic. His is more auditory. And we know that about each other. And so just one of those things, the way we show love for each other is to try to um, activate each person's love strategy on a daily basis. And I think especially for women who are touch, when they don't get the touch, they will instantly start to think he only wants me for sex. I'm only good for sex. And it's just because maybe we haven't communicated how important it is and what it means to us to have that physical touch and and I will say the more I, the, when I started to get more non-sexual touch, I started giving him a lot more actual sexual touch. You know, it kind of like, I, it's sort of a, it's sort of, you know, of course my desire, my arousal and everything kind of went up, but he had, had to understand that that was important to me and why. 
Yeah. And it's not love language. It's, you know, it, it's really this unconscious love strategy. And we're, we talk about that, um, in a couple of times, but it's really about just understanding your values. And there's a, you know, one of our podcasts, we talk about when Cheryl asked me when I felt truly loved. And so like, I loved, I just want to illustrate the difference here for, for the people listening. So I'm very kinesthetic. I have to, well, you know, I need to hear it. Right. Charlotte, Charlotte's touch. Um, and so we would ride in the truck and Charlotte would always put her hand on my leg. And, and I like that. Like she, she's always touching me. Right. So, um, and then I was always tell her how wonderful and beautiful she was. Right. So <laughs> my love strategy, right. He was feeding to me. I was feeding to her. And I was feeding mine to him. My love strategy, <laughs> but it wasn't hitting. It wasn't it, landing. It wasn't landing at all. And she was feeding to me her love strategy. Right. And so we're just going around the world. I'm showing her love the way that I think that she needs to hear love. And she's showing me love the way I like, and we're both just missing. We're mm -hmm. both just missing. Right. And so finding out that secret weapon, the easy button, well, that's it for me. It's easy button. I know which button to press, right? It's easy. And you know, and then I get the return on that. And for her, same thing. She has to, you know, like sometimes I get dressed for work and I'll, I'll come out and I'm like, I look good. Don't I? And she's like, Oh, you look You're great. Looking for a compliment. I'm got looking it, for a compliment. It, there it is. That's my husband. But that's all okay. The time. Like once you, now you understand. Yeah, but that's okay. Maybe that's his strategy, right? Well, he needs to hear it. He needs to hear it. So, I'll, like, I'll tell her, I'm like, I look good, great. She's like, Yeah. I'm like, Thanks for that, even though I had to prompt oh. you to tell me. You know. <laughs> so it really comes down to communication being the biggest piece, and I think that's hard for a lot of us. I know. I keep bringing up just because it's my reality, my, my relationship, but my husband is what for years was just like, oh, we don't talk about anything. Something bothers me about you. I'm just not going to tell you because I just don't want to have the conversation. It's easier for me to just push it down. And then it, it, it never pushes down forever. It always rears its ugly head at some point. And so that's been something where I'm like, you have to tell me. Because if we just don't talk, it's almost like ships passing in the night. So yeah. one of the number one things that um, that people will present into therapy or coaching for is a mismatch in meta emotions. So a meta emotion mismatch, just a meta emotion just means what you feel about feelings. So what are your feelings about feelings? And we are all raised up in different ways where maybe some households, they gave each other lots of praise. They worked through and talked through. Emotions were, were discussed. And, um, and, and so they, they talked about their emotions all the time. In another household, maybe your husband's was this way where they didn't talk about those things. And so we start to grow up with these different beliefs around feelings. And then we get into relationships where these beliefs clash. One of the research studies that John Gottman was doing, he was he had he, he just illustrated with these two different people. Uh, They're both women who had these different views of anger. One of them was like anger is so toxic. Anger will ruin our relationship. Anger will because she had a, you know, a parent situation where she had a parent. It was I guess, angry all the time. And so she just connected anger, which, by the way, anger is actually not predictive when all the research, it's not predictive of relationship breakup. Yeah. Um, but she associated it with that. It was contempt. It was rage. It was abusive. Then in another woman, she was like, oh, no, my mom was so depressed and so sad all the time growing up. I hate sadness. So I love anger. I love anger because it's energizing and it gets me out of sadness. So how we're raised creates these systems inside of us where we then have these 
opinions or these beliefs that mostly operate unconsciously about what it means to have conversation, what it means to have conflict, what it means to communicate, what it means to share vulnerabilities. Those meanings is what really needs to be discussed. What are what are the meanings that we both have around talking about this stuff, about about having conflict, about vulnerability? Yeah, that's hard. that's that's a difficult one, right? I mean, and, and even when Sherla shares that story, like, you know, if people who are raised talking about their emotions and I just start, my left eye starts to twitch because I was raised with suck it up. Yeah. Right? And, as a lot of guys are. Yeah. As we, as we were, right. I was raised with, yeah, we don't, we don't sit down and talk about emotions. Like, oh, I want to sit down and talk about how you feel. I'm like, I need to go somewhere. Right. But now, right. If you learn if the, the and, and you mentioned communication, I think that's, I think it's the best part, right. If we learn how to accept our our partner's viewpoint in the world, and and love them for that, it it really becomes amazing. Instead like, of trying to change them to make yeah. them like have our viewpoint, yeah, it's easier to change them. It doesn't really work. Yeah, pushing down oh, your emotions is sort of like a clogged. Yeah, that's a, that's a clogged sewer pipe. Eventually, yeah. it's not yeah. going to be pretty. Yes. Another so, meta. There another metaphor for you. Yeah, I I love the metaphors. So do you think that it is okay? Because a lot of women are busy if they're raising kids. And and uh, this was me a little bit younger because now I'm kind of on the tail end where my kids are getting older and leaving the home. But do you think it's okay to just, I, I know you're going to say no, but I just want to know if this, again, if this is something that you hear, is it okay to just push it down. A lot of us are just like, we're barely surviving. We have young kids or teenagers that, you know, we're aging, we're caring for aging parents and we have all these other issues. I don't have time for this big elephant in the room until your kids start moving out or whatever it is. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, I didn't prioritize my marriage for X amount of years. But I know that happens a lot happens all the time we it's get a de- into it's a default we get into trouble quite often on social media because we do. <laughs> about certain controversial topics and one of them is this and that's your marriage has to come before your kids it has to i'm not saying not to feed your kids or take care of your kids or take them to soccer practice or to give them love or attention at all like that's not what we say but we but it, you have to demonstrate for your children what a successful relationship looks like for their benefit, but also so that when they're 18 and they leave the house, there's something left of the two of you. And if we keep pushing things down, pushing things down, waiting till next year, waiting 18 years, there's not going to be you left. There's not going to be a relationship left. And I can't tell you how many people have shown up in, you know, on our calls or in appointments with us that are in that stage. And one of them is just like completely checked out, like, no, not not interested, you know, and trying to get that back when all it took was a little nurturing along the way. And I'm not saying 24 seven, like there's a minimum amount of investment you need to put into your relationship to have friendship. There's a minimum amount. And sometimes that's even asking each other like to grow to to do better for the friendship, for the relationship and to to kind of grow up for the relationship so that we have we have this friendship that's going to last until our children are gone. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, even when it comes to things like repair, and we talk a lot about repair on our show, and we have an, an episode about it right now. But one of the things they found with repair and forgiveness 
is that repair only really works where couples have good friendship. Like you can you can follow scripts and you can follow like the perfect semantics and give a beautiful apology. But unless there's something there, a friendship that's there, it's probably not going to work. So friendship is the basis for a good relationship. It's also the basis for fabulous sex. Like the better you are at being friends, the better you're going to have in the bedroom too. Like the better things are going to be generally in the bedroom. So friendship is is key and, and there's just a certain amount of time you have to invest in that so it doesn't deteriorate. Sure. All right. This is another spicy question. Okay. Are you ready? Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. We love the spicy questions. Uh-huh. Well, I work with a lot of clients in person online and they share with me. I almost feel like a personal trainer is almost like a, a hairstylist. So they get really comfortable yes. with yeah. you. And so you hear a lot about their highs and lows and their relationships and everything. So if you are like, okay, well, I have a great friendship, but I'm no longer attracted to my spouse. This is where I think you have to have some level of uh, keeping up with yourself, your spouse and, and you. Um, but she was just like, well, he's in this specific example, well, he's really overweight and I'm just not attracted to him anymore. I'm like, well, do you have these conversations or are you just like, oh, I'm not having sex anymore because I'm not. I mean, and then everything just deteriorates from there. How would you approach that as a conversation? And have you had a client or am I I the only one that has had someone say that to me? I mean, I I mean, we've both gone through our individual health journeys right like robert's i don't know am i allowed to say like robert's down like 90 pounds right now from where he was a couple years ago and you know it's just fact that i'm gonna find that a little bit more attractive and i think sometimes it's okay to encourage a spouse in a non-critical non-hurtful way to say let's step it up together like let's start going like we've started every morning, we get up, set the alarm 45 minutes earlier. We have a home gym and we 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 do that together. We'll get on the rower and he'll get on the Peloton and we'll we'll have our time together to to prioritize our health. And it's not but attraction is also different. So it's kind of like it's also different because we're all going to get older. We're all going to get, you know, aged. We're all going to get wrinkles and more cellulite than we had before. And so the meaning that our relationship has brought to our lives adds a level to that attraction so that even when we get older, we can still have that attraction. So I think it's twofold. Like, I think it's okay to, I went to Robert and I'm like, you know, it wasn't like, oh, you're super unattractive to me. It was more like, hey, I'm worried about your health. I'm worried about you not being here for as many years as I'm here. I want to be with you. Let's, let's do some stuff to to improve both of our our health and our longevity and stay healthier longer together. So, I mean, that is kind of a reality. But the flip side of that is that I also think that great sex and cellulite also can be go together because the more we grow together and mature together and develop these experiences together where we have these meaningful this meaningful life with these rituals that Robert talked about and more like the, the attraction will will also develop and become more mature. Would you add anything to that? No, no, that was actually perfect. Okay. It was perfect. I listened to this 
podcast that really just stuck in my head. It was like a year and a half ago, but it was called Sex and Sweatpants. And really the the meaning was just like, you have to put in a little bit of effort. That doesn't mean, it. not, not even necessarily has to be like, oh, well, you know, you've gained a little bit of weight or or whatever people are thinking physically, but just like, don't always just be like, well, my par- our partner is not on loan. They're on loan. And I think that's what she was saying. Our, you know, our partners are, are on loan and we still have to just put in a little bit of effort in lots of different areas to just, you know, maybe just don't wear sweats 24 seven. If you work from home, maybe totally just, you know, get, get ready and let's go out, even if it's not a big extravagant date, but just something to like show that we're trying for each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the, and I, I love that you, you know, I love that you put it that way because Charlotte was talking about, um, was it, was there a last podcast? I'm not certain. There was one where she was talking about how, you know, you just need to, you know, we have to put in some effort. She, in, in what she said, I'm just going to paraphrase, but she said, I still want him to find me attractive. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, even in my past body size, I still wanted her to find me attractive. I knew, you know, um, and so, you, you still try, right? And I think that as long as you're still trying, like I'm still, even right now, I'm trying to impress her, mm-hmm. right? Because this is this is my one. And, and and I think that as long as you're still trying. Now, you know, the difficulty is, is like, why is somebody not trying? You know, is it hopeless? Have they given up? Is there criticism? Is there contempt, right? Are they met with, are there, are there trials met with disdain? You know, I mean, I guess in my past situation, if Charlotte would have said, you know, you're, I don't know, I hate using those words, right? You're, you're repulsive or like all those types of things that might've just spiraled me, right? It might've just spiraled me and then I might've shut down, right? And then, you know, then 10 years later, she's at the gym talking to you about how she's not attracted to her husband. (laughs) And that's, and that's probably not the case, but, but like we all, like, regardless of how well I've, uh, you know, I've developed my sense of self i'm still reflected in in how she sees me right we're still we still want to be important to each other and i think at the minute we stop trying to be important to each other is really a is really a sort of a a dangerous spot it's also showing complacency to me that's a sign of i've just become i've taken you for granted i don't care anymore how i look how i smell (laughs) like it doesn't matter if i've showered if my hair is you know whatever and i'm not saying like you like what you just said like i don't think you have to have a full face of makeup and go to the salon every day and come home and be perfect but just show you care just show you care a little bit like i still want to go out to dinner and be like oh i'm with the cutest guy in the room you know even though we're in our 50s like i still want to feel proud of him and he wants to feel proud of me i think that that's i think that's a great thing for her okay so if we have we've we've talked about so much i feel like i could go for hours and hours with you guys and you're adorable and i'm in love with you both now so i hope you uh, want no, part two. So sweet. <laughs> but if we sure. have, so let's say that we've we're disconnected somehow with desire or with intimacy or with sex yeah any of those or maybe a, a trio of a little bit of all of them what are the steps that you can give to just general steps to try to turn the ship around and to mend these areas that might be painful. 
So first, I gave you a book earlier, Intimacy and Desire. I would definitely get that book and start reading it. There's another book called Everything Isn't Terrible, which also has both of those will help with basically the the sense of self. I love what David Schnarch says. He says that sex is yeah. leftovers. So you go into this, you're getting into a relationship and you start a relationship and it's like Robert comes in. He's like, this is, these are all the things I'm willing to do. <laughs> Sort of. Right. And it's like, oh, no, that's that's nasty. That's gross. That's perverted. We're not doing those things. And then I come with my list of things that I think are OK. And what's left over is this buffet of leftovers of what we're both willing to accept in a sexual relationship. And what's interesting, because sex can get kind of boring if we stay eating the same buffet every single day. So part of those things are our insecurities about maybe role play or fantasy or trying new things. And if you think about it, we all had a point in our life when we were 10 and we looked at somebody French kissing on TV and we're like, that's disgusting. I'm never going to do that. So our sexual repertoire is always developing, even if it's, and I'm not saying you need to bring in another person or do anything crazy, but there's like ways to, to spice up your, your relationship, but that will be dependent on your level of maturity your level of developing yourself to be able to tolerate a little bit of discomfort when you get into trying new things and doing new things with your partner. So I would get those books and I would I would work on my sense of self. Secondarily, I would say friendship is the most important thing to having a solid relationship and a great sex life. So if we were to talk about friendship and the like three or four key things to friendship, to having a great friendship, what would you say one of them would be? Um, well, rituals. Rituals is going to be one of the the, the best parts. Um, vulnerability and intimacy. Mm -hmm. um, so, so rituals. When we talk about rituals, Robert gave you two. Um, we have rituals for how we say goodbye, how we say hello. We have rituals for every day of having a stress reduce, reducing conversation where we talk about our days and talk about what went right. We have rituals around date nights. We have rituals around vacations. We have rituals around setting goals every year. Like one of our favorite rituals is we have an annual trip we take up to Midway Park City area every January and we lay out our year and we assess our values, what's important to each other, and we plan out the year. So having rituals in your relationship is really great at developing friendship. Well, and it also helps, especially when I'm just going to plug the values thing, you know, um, everybody changes your needs and wants change from year to year. Like this year I want to get in shape or this year I want to become a pilot. And and you have that on the inside. Unless you've kind of dug down and, and really ferreted out your values and made and and shown those to your partner and made them made the other part the other person aware of that, then they can help support your values. So now you have a supportive you have somebody who's on your side. So how do we do that? We have to have conversations. We call it or John Gottman calls it love maps where we update our love maps with each other. So this is another part of friendship. We have to still continue to have those conversations like we did when we were dating. What are your interests? What are your worries? What are your fears? What are your goals? Where do you see yourself in five years? What are you worried about? Who are your best friends? What are What's going on at work that is challenging you? Where do you want to develop? Where do you want to grow? They're open-ended types of questions that have hours of conversation. That way we keep our maps of each other updated because how do you love someone you don't know? And how do you show interest in someone you love unless you're having those conversations? Absolutely. And then you have to have the time, you know, right? you want to put in the time. We have a six hour like magic. We have an episode on like a six hour magic week of like the minimum amount of time we feel like it takes 
to keep a relationship alive where it's just not on autopilot, autopilot or life support actually was what I was thinking right so are we are we spending the time and then there there's another thing that we talk about with friendship called bids for connection yeah and that's that our partner we are always making a subtle attempts all the time to connect with each other and with our phones and with our busyness of our lives we are missing these opportunities where our partner is trying to connect with us and then resentment will set in and research actually showed when they looked at early married couples newlywed couples they videotaped them in this like airbnb kind of setting they called it a love lab and they looked at how many attempts were being made by each other to connect and how many of those attempts were being ignored and then six years later, you look to see who was divorced and who was still together. And the ones that were still together had responded six years earlier, 86% of the time to those attempts. The ones that were divorced had only responded 33% of the time. And, and it's interesting because I think now we're talking about what are these attempts for connection. So we'll just give you an image, right? So um, we're both in the house. When, and this was John Gottman. They built out this like Airbnb. And so the, the couple is there. Um, so she's looking out the window. And this is direct from what he what he talks about in the research and she's looking out the window and she's like, Oh, look, there's a boat out there. Um, well, since we're in Utah, we'll say, Oh, look at the mountain. Um, there's a cabin up there and he's scrolling on his phone. Doesn't look up, right? He's missed that opportunity for connection and, and you don't even need to be great at it. He looked up and was like, Oh, that's cool. Or the other one who comes over, looks out the window and he's like, this is our runner. He's like, we should build one of those cabins one day, right? Mm -hmm. That's an amazing response to a bid for connection. Or it could just be a sigh or it was like, Oh crap, like, you know, open the fridge or, you know, something happened. Like you're like, well, what's wrong, honey? Like if you can if you let those any if you let these moments go by, if you let those bits for connection go by, then you're missing the opportunity to connect and be friends. Right. One more thing for friendship, and then we'll probably wrap it up because I know we're like at the end of time. But we can I think forever. the last thing about friendship that is so important. So we've talked about time, we've talked about love maps, we've talked about bids for connection. The last thing would be appreciation. Mm -hmm. And what they found in this research is that I think it was 94, 95% of the time, the couples that put a positive spin on their relationship have these long lasting, enduring relationships, 95%. So gratitude and appreciation will change so much, right? And gratitude is, is the general feeling of what we feel. Appreciation is actually expressing it and saying it. So it's noticing the things in each other that we're really grateful for in our relationship, in our partnership, in our in each other, and then going further to say it. And if you'll do that, if you look every day for what's going right instead of what's going wrong, because you're going to find whatever you're looking for. If you're looking for what's wrong, you're going to find it. If you're looking for what's right, you're going to find it. But if we're consciously making that effort, it's going to snowball and we'll see more of what's going right. And you're going to have a better friendship. So appreciation, love maps, bids for connection, spending that time together, you're going to have a fabulous friendship. The only thing that's really going to tear you apart at that point is not knowing how to do conflict. So that would be a whole different episode. But but like learning to how to have positive conflict, learning how to have not put it under the rug or what you said earlier, push it down, like learning not to push it down and have how to have conflict, but how to have it in a positive way, because we all have conflict. The weirdest thing, positive conflict. Who thought? And I, I'm a pretty firm believer if you'll if you'll work on friendship, sex and intimacy will be a byproduct. It just Absolutely. Will. It just will. Great sex and great intimacy will be a byproduct. Yeah. Okay. This has been so powerful. I mean, I cannot wait for round two. And we're going to cover 
the conflict because you, uh, now I'm super intrigued by what you guys have to say. So just to wrap up, how can people find you and how can they work with you? Well, our podcast is Master Your Marriage Podcast. Um, it's uh, all, all streaming on all Spotify, iTunes, everywhere. Our website is MasterYourMarriagePodcast.com. And on social media, TikTok and Instagram, primarily Master Instagram, is just Master Your Marriage. So you can find us any of those places. We do have a couple of new courses coming out. We've got some retreats next year. So just um, connect with us on social or through the website and We'd love to work with you. Thank you for listening to Master Your Marriage. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover, then we want to hear from you. Just go to MasterYourMarriagePodcast.com and send us your question. Oh, and while you're there, you can also check out our retreats and events and even apply for coaching. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you get advanced notice of when the next episode drops, plus show notes and many extras. Thanks again for tuning in.